Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, Brad, we are back third week in a row with a guest. Yeah, look at that. I like that. I'm uh, quite the booker here for for booking guests. I was going to say, did you used to work for Letterman? (laughs) Because, I mean, God, it's just like guest (laughs) after guest after guest. Yes, and this is is an extra special (laughs) one because this guy is legit. He writes for Baseball Prospectus. His name is Jarrett Seidler. I know him a little bit because we are both wrestling fans. And so the one time I did meet him, it was like the weekend uh, of an event. So, uh, so yeah, so we have some shared interest here, but you know, we won't talk about wrestling. We'll focus on baseball. Uh, though if, if this lockout lasts uh, too much longer, we may end up talking about wrestling or something. We'll run out of topics. Yeah, well, to quilting. We're talking about quilting. No, so wait, so what's up with the, 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 the owners wanted a mediator to come in and the players were like, no, because you haven't negotiated at all. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think usually you bring in a mediator um, when there's kind of at least some good faith right, negotiating right. going on. I don't think we've seen that yet. I think we've just seen a lot of um, <clears throat> getting thrown into a room and yelling at each other. Uh, usually a mediator will come in if you're, you know, if you're close, if you've got some things you just can't work out, but, yeah. you're, but you're close. Uh, I, I understand where the players are coming from. You don't want a mediator to come in and try to take on 50 different items yeah. that you have problems with because, because once a mediator settles, that's kind of it. I mean, yeah. you're, you're kind of stuck with that. Uh, so I, I totally get where the players are coming from on that. I think that was just kind of a crap move by the owners to throw that out there uh, at this point without yeah. being in the room enough. But I think they're getting a little worried. Um, I think they're starting to see their, uh, their gate funds, uh, a gate income maybe going to disappear here in a little bit. So yeah, I, I think they're freaking out a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's funny because there's no current agreement. Um, steroid testing. Yeah. Stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, what is that? A week or so after bonds was not <laughs> voted in and all of a sudden now it's like, you know, you can needle up if you want. I mean, you know, obviously that's going to change with yes. the next uh, yes. CBA. Whenever that's in. funny. But like yeah. it, like, like if you are up now, you know, well, we're not saying anybody is doing this. <laughs> we don't know. But if you are interested in doing this, this would be a good time to kind of get on the juice yeah. a little bit. So Yeah, Trey uh, Turner could double his size between now and, now and then. <laughs> All right, we're going to hit our intro. We're going to bring Jared in, and then we will get going with our show. Spadrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. 
All right, Jarrett, how's it going, my friend? This is Jarrett Seidler from Baseball Prospectus. You had a giant project, the top 101 list. And we're going to get to that because I think that's going to be the meat of this show. But I just wanted to uh, kind of talk about, you know, how does someone become a writer for Baseball Prospectus? But how are you? How are you, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm, I'm pretty good, um, all things considered. Yeah, we're actually done with our prospect lists. Um, the last one went up, I think, a week ago today. So, like, basically the last, like, four months have just been... I have like a regular day job too. I do this. This is my second full-time job basically because this is also functionally a full-time job. Um, but yeah, like the last four months have just been absolute craziness writing 30 team lists, the top yeah. 101. Um, I also contributed pretty substantially to the major league side of the baseball prospectus annual, which should be shipping now. Um, I wrote the Marlins essay, um, half of the nationals comments and a lot of the prospect material in it. So it's just been an absolutely incredibly hectic, like three or four months. <laughs> and now there's absolutely nothing happening. Yeah. I was going to say, usually you lead up to this and then boom, here we are pitchers and catchers. Yeah. But now we're in this lull where we've got a super bowl. And then after a super bowl, We've got some regular season hockey and basketball, and then we're just going to sit here and wait. <laughs> yeah. I usually like we're gearing up for like spring training previews and um, the launch of our Pakoda projections, and both of those things are still happening. Like we're still doing that, but it's like much lower key because how can you really make standings projections without knowing like where Carlos Correa is going to sign or right. perhaps more to the interest of this podcast, Chris Bryant and say Suzuki. Sure. Um, yeah. So like you're making projections when, you know, five of the top 15 free agents still haven't signed, maybe 20 or 25 of the top 50. And, you know, there's yeah. still going to be trades and whenever this gets resolved and I do think it's going to get resolved, like the week after that is just going to be absolute madness with like free agency and trades, just like the week leading up to the lockout was. So. Yeah. So as somebody who is also, I mean, this is like your, your passionate hobby of, of, of writing for, for the prospectus. I, I, I'm amazed because like you said, you have a day job. This is your, passion it's a like a very passionate hobby and it takes up a, a lot of your time as well like as someone who's also a content creator in addition to this podcast with brad i think i do like five other podcasts during the week it's like almost every night and um like how do you find the time one and two how do you balance like the day thing which is the way that you make your money versus like the the baseball thing, which you're probably constantly thinking about, you know, even yeah. while you're doing your day thing. Because I know when Brad and I, you know, the Monday we record this at this time, Monday evening, you know, throughout the day, we're just texting back and forth about, you know, <laughs> topics and what do you think about this? And so, like, because we're thinking about it while we're doing our day jobs, too. Yeah, hopefully none of my bosses are listening to this. <laughs> yeah, um, I was about to luckily, say, Gary. Yeah, luck, yeah, luckily none of them are like really into the baseball. I think if they like knew like just how intensive like my baseball stuff was, they'd probably be more concerned about my uh, abilities as a system administrator. Yeah. Um, but um, one is I have a very supportive fiance that helps like a lot. Um, uh, she's actually a journalist for the New York Daily News. So Ooh, nice. She, kind of understands oh, the, yeah. uh, that side of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a time. I mean, I 
I like mentally cracked at the beginning of January. I'm not going to lie. Like I was just like a mess for like a week, a week and a half. Um, and that just, that does happen. Cause yeah. it's just like so much work. I mean, I have, I only have one podcast, but my podcast tends to run like two or two and a half hours an episode <laughs> wow. weekly. Yeah. Um, yes. It's like some of your podcasts with Dave can yes. get rather extended. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. We can end up going like really long. Um, so that ends up taking up time. It's just a matter of like trying to fit stuff in. Like I, um, I once wrote a, this is the funniest place I've ever filed from is during the pre-show at WrestleMania from the stadium. <laughs> um, I wrote something on my phone and filed it. So like, wow. I'm like constantly just like, jot, and that's like an extreme example, but I've like filed from like hockey games or basketball games or like that kind of stuff. Um, I filed, stuff when going games as a fan um so it's just like i am like constantly thinking about this and like writing stuff down i've gotten very good at opening up google docs in my phone to you know just jot down um even if i just get down like a paragraph or two that i can use later like while it's fresh in my head like i you know i do that at all kinds of weird times like you know when i'm like half asleep at like 11 p.m it's probably not great for my sleeping habits but yeah Yeah. I'm not sure any of this is healthy or good. I'm not sure I suggest this to anybody, to be clear. But um, yeah, it's like baseball writing is like my essential all-consuming passion, but they only pay a, you know, I, I make, make okay money doing that yeah. too. Like I want to make it seem like I'm like uh, unpaid because, you know, in that in the baseball writing industry, there have been issues with people oh, yeah. not paying writers, you know, working I'm on spec and I, I, that's not an issue with me or baseball prospectus, at least my experience in baseball prospectus, but you know, like the percentage of time this takes up, like if I actually calculated like my hourly wage for all the time I'm thinking about baseball or at games or writing about baseball, it would just, that would make me really sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a website in which I pay some writers and from the, conversations i've had with them and how they get paid or previous at previous position it was literally just about output it was like they were expected to aggregate content all day long and if they would get up to 20 posts a day that meant like x dollars that they would actually earn that day and it, and that that can become really hectic and and so i i totally get it now from their perspective it's like well you know i'll i'll do this because it's worth it i'll gain some social media following. I'll have it on my resume that I wrote here. And then when I go and try for that other thing, then at least I have that. So I I totally get that from that perspective too. But you're right in that it is all encompassing. And look, the the reason why we can do what we do is just because we're really good at our day job as well. (laughs) So but there's, you know, if you have, if you are married or in in Jared, Jared has fiance, there's a juggling of time with your significant other. If you have kids, you know, Brad and myself, there's a further juggling of time and doing multiple things at once. And then you have, you know, puppies and stuff. So <laughs> it is, it, you know, it, you, as you get older, you just become better at, at juggling things. And, and that's why, you know, we can kind of do what we do. But um, OK, so the uh, the the Giants list for for the uh, the top 101, um, we Brad and I are not. I I wouldn't say we know the farm system up and down. Like, you know, we study some of the top players, you know, obviously uh, Luciano and and Joey Bart and guys like that. We know those guys very well. But there are some people on these lists who uh, hardcore Giants fans would know. 
Uh, but you're a casual Giants fan who may not really be interested in the prospects. I kind of want to give them a little bit of insight in some of these guys on, on the list here. So there were five Giants on the top 101 list. And let's start from the back because this one might be the one, the, the player outside of Luciano that hardcore Giants fans may think have their eye on the most, which is Kyle Harrison. So he comes in at 92, makes the cut. And I got to see, I didn't ever see him pitch, but I, I live near where the sounds like giants play. So I got, you know, I've been to games and then there's lots of talk about him from the fans. Like what about Kyle Harrison? Cause I think when the giants drafted him there, they drafted him on a tremendous upside rather than this validation that this guy is going to 100% be a stud. So, yeah, they picked him in the third round of the pandemic draft, which was the 2020 draft, which was um, it was a five round draft. And that just obviously in a five, the normal MLB draft is 40 rounds. They cut it to 20 in 2021. So there were only five rounds in 2020 and teams did like some weird um, signing bonus manipulation in those rounds. And Kyle Harrison was a signing bonus manipulation third rounder. So he was a third rounder, but he got like late first round, early second round money. Um, And that's pretty common for um, high school pitchers. Um, High school pitchers often are drafted a little bit later, but get higher bonuses is kind of a risk minimization maximization thing so he's a left-handed starting pitcher um he what like immediately when he became a professional his um his fastball velocity increased um which again is not um uncommon especially like i'm kind of backtracking to a macro view here um the giants have gotten a lot better at player development um, since uh, the Farhan crew came mm-hmm. in and he brought in some people from the Dodgers and he brought some people outside the Dodgers along with them. Um, and one of the things they've specifically gotten really good at is what the uh, player development and the prospect people call pitch design. So it's like increasing velocity, increasing effectiveness of breaking balls, um, trying to, um, are you guys familiar with like driveline and mm-hmm. like the pitch lab type stuff? Yeah. So like the pitch lab type stuff. And that kind of goes through all, you know, they took uh, Matt Mikulski in the second round of the 2021 draft, who is a fifth year senior out of, I believe Fordham, who was like a fifth year senior pitcher, almost never gets drafted in the second round to get seven figures, but he had really good pitch metrics. So Harrison was kind of like a projectability, pitchability starting pitcher heading into the draft. Like the second he gets into pro ball, his fastball velocity pops into like the low mid 90s. He's touching 96 pretty consistently. It's like a lively fastball that's like missing bats up in the zone, which is one of the things that pretty much every team has gotten into. Like you don't want sink or cut anymore. You want to get swings and misses high in the zone. Um, his changeup got better. His slider got better. So now it's a situation where he's still in low A, so he's still, like, really far away. And also, he just, like, absolutely shoved. Like, his numbers were incredible during yeah. the season. He struck out a ton of batters. He didn't walk that many batters. He struck out 157 in under 100 innings. If you're striking out more than 10 guys per nine, that's, like, a real sign of dominance. The organization, the, the minor league organization for the Giants, their strikeout numbers were way up. 
Yes, yes. They um the Giants um under if you go back to like the Sabian era, it tended to heavily favor tools. Um, and they still have a lot of that. The guys we're going to talk about towards the top of this list, like Luciano and Matos, and even Palmeiras, who's um, close to where Harrison is, are like really tools intensive hitters with, you know, questionable swing decisions and questionable hit tool outcomes. But especially on the pitching side, they've really started to focus on pitchers that like, just get swings and misses and that's where baseball has been heading recently so harrison just like his stuff like really jumped and now all of a sudden so the one kind of remaining question mark with him is his ability to throw consistent strikes and hit his spots now he's a he's he pitched as a teenager for most of last season he turned uh 20 i think in august um and he's in low A. It was his first season out of the draft. That's very common. Command usually develops later on. Uh, that's also what makes uh, teenage pitching prospects one of the riskiest cohorts of players um, and is why not a whole lot of low A pitching prospects end up making our 101. So that in and of itself puts him in some very high company. But yeah, I mean, he's got a chance, you know, two, three years from now to be like a really solid mid-rotation starter and something else I've observed in the time period doing this is sometimes guys keep having their stuff tick up you know it just because he's already made a jump from like the 90 91 range to the 92 94 range doesn't mean that he's necessarily not going to make a jump to 95 96 97 more regularly later on that happens too um I'm a Mets fan. The classic case of this is Jacob deGrom, who threw like <laughs> 90 or 91 when he was at the same stage in A-ball and now regularly hits 100. Like sometimes guys just keep picking up stuff. Um, whether or not they've hit their, their kind of classic projectability numbers or not. Harrison himself is an example of that. He wasn't considered like a super projectable kid. Like he's not like really tall or – you know, really great extension in the way that like more classic older school scouts would consider a player protectable, but he just, his pitches are really good and they keep getting better. Okay. So there is uh, another left-hander the Giants drafted uh, many years ago um, named Madison Bumgarner, who, when he shot through the, uh, the minor leagues, also out of high school, very young, he seemed even at a very young age, from a body perspective, he just seemed like a, a, a grown-ass man. But his velocity went the other way. Like, he was ticking up 97 in, in low A. And then as he got closer to the big leagues, he was more low 90s. Like, do you often see that happen? Or was Madison, for whatever reason, once he got better at the control and once some of those other things happened, Maybe he didn't need the 97 anymore, but it just felt it just seemed weird to me that it would tick down and then he became better. Uh, I I don't. Does that happen often? That's unusual, but not unprecedented. Um, Sometimes pitchers are kind of pulling back from their max um, for better command and control. Um, Shohei Otani is an example of this during the 2021 season. Uh, He was not throwing as hard after the first month or two of the season, he kind of backed himself down into the low to mid-90s instead of the upper 90s. 
but his command greatly improved when he was doing it. Uh, sometimes pitchers can end up overthrowing to get the higher velocity. Yeah. Uh, Bumgarner's a little bit before my time as prospect analyst. I think I saw him when Norwich came to Trenton, but it would have been like, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago now. That's kind of, which is kind of scary. Um, but yeah, my my recollection of Bumgarner was that he had to increase, he had the raw stuff and he kind of had to dial it back a little bit to throw not just more strikes, but good strikes in him, his case. Um there was another pitching prospect that he was paired with at that time whose name I don't remember. Um, might have been Anderson or something like that. And I remember the discourse surrounding both of them at the time because I did still follow this stuff before mm-hmm. I started doing it professionally, was that they, those guys like weren't striking enough uh, batters out for what they were doing at the time. And I think Bumgarner had to kind of evolve his uh, overall arsenal to get more swings and misses. And yeah, that's it's not common. Um, most of the time, when pitchers lose velocity, it's injury or wear and tear related more sure. than conscious this is. Sure. So you said that you've been following this for a long time now. Is this just, you know, so for I'm not going to speak for Brad, but back when we were younger, you know, you had some Bill James stuff, you had some uh, some statistical analysis. But we were like back of the baseball card guys, and there's there's not much content on the back of the baseball cards, right? So you're a little bit younger, so you're coming up in a different era where there is more information, there is the internet. So how did you come from or turn into, you know, from baseball fan to like Uber analysis metrics, like this type of fan? So I started reading um I started reading Bill James stuff. Um, I'm 38, so I started reading that well, probably in like the mid 90s, which was like a little bit after, like when he was doing the yearly abstracts. But I, I think I just like picked up the historical baseball abstract from the library. I was like a very baseball obsessed youngster, as I'm sure everybody was, and I absolutely mm-hmm. loved baseball cards. I have an '89 Upper Deck Griffey in my. Uh, <laughs> I see that. Oh, I've not seen that. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm also wearing a Griffey T-shirt. Nice. Um, yeah, as you know, 38 year old um, people do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was five in 1989. That was, that Griffey was a formative. Uh, athlete of my youth um but yeah i kind of just got into it i started reading baseball prospectus in the late 90s um you know they were already publishing in that time period some of the people that were writing for them are they're not at baseball prospectus but like christina carl is still around at the san francisco chronicle mm-hmm. um and some of the other, you know joe sheen sells newsletter uh so some of the people from that time period are still around um, in terms of the prospect side, uh, Baseball America was kind of the only game in town uh, in the 80s and most of the 90s. And then John Sickles started doing analysis for ESPN and was very good at it um, for a time period. The prospect analysis community kind of started to explode in like the late 2000s. Um, 
combination, ironically, the other side of baseball card collecting, where people want to speculate on the prospect cards of younger players. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was a Jason Dominguez card that sold for like $400,000 the other day. Um, Jason Dominguez, by the way, did not make our top one award. (laughs) Do you you want to call that guy and break it to him? (laughs) He's a good prospect. He made it uh, the previous couple of years, and I know he's made like towards the bottom of some other outlets, uh, top 100s. I'm supposed to pretend I don't know what else is going on in my industry, but I actually do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so on one hand, there was a great um, ask for information from the card collectors, but the even bigger one has been from Dynasty League fantasy players because that market has just absolutely exploded over the last 10, 12 years. Um, And I don't know if it's the majority, but a lot of the people that are reading our product are reading it to get the scoops on the young players to go collect them in their dynasty leagues. And there's even an entire fantasy prospect community that kind of like takes what we do and tries to like boil it down to like five by five roto leagues or base percentage (laughs) leagues. Um, So there's those guys on Twitter and like when you don't rank their players in a certain spot, they can get kind of <laughs> weird about it. Cause you know, some of the stuff, you know, if you're like the people investing, um, I don't really understand NFTs, but I understand NFTs more after seeing the Jason Dominguez $400,000 thing. Cause it's basically the same thing, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's worth like this assigned value that doesn't really have any, relation it's just yeah. artificial scarcity like they always say if somebody will pay that price it's yeah. worth that much but yeah yeah <laughs> nfts are very interesting I, i'm very intrigued uh especially with the, so nba top shot was kind of the first one to come out and now the nfl is doing stuff i've seen ufc is doing stuff wwe kind of flubbed their nft uh their first series or whatever around, I think it was around the undertake or something, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm interested in it just because it, I, because I collected baseball cards, I understand that market a little bit. So I kind of understood the NFT market for the same reason that that Dominguez card goes nuts. It's, you know, I, I, I was like um, Zion Williamson xyz card with the low print run and that card's going for like a thousand you know it's just like stuff like that where you know you create the scarcity and you just see what the market does with that stuff so it's very it's very interesting i you know we'll see how we'll see the legs on that stuff but um okay so let's get back to your list here and and i want to get through one more and then we'll kind of talk about what what we're drinking here uh we, we have number 83, Jairo Palmares, and you talked about him as being a little bit more toolsy than, uh, you know, than, than somebody who's like sort of ready to go. He's uh, also in, in the lower end of the, of the minor league system. Um, but he uh, is, I guess, w- would you say that he was maybe the, the surprise? The, did, did, did fans feel like, oh, like we didn't really know that he was thought of that highly? Yeah, he would not have been... Um a guy we would have really thought was going to like make the top 101. Like Luis Matos wasn't on our top 101 before this year, but he was a guy that would have been kind of in the broad consideration set. And I don't think we would have been shocked would have jumped in there. Uh, 
Palmeiras was not really on the radar. He was a good prospect we were aware of, but he was kind of more in that um, same category of Harrison, of guys that were like really far off and you kind of keep them in the back of your mind maybe. Um, And he's not, and part of the reason he wasn't there is he's not like as toolsy as Matos or Luciano who are much higher on these lists. But he was almost a million-dollar signing um, as an international free agent, so there's obviously some underlying tools there. And he just absolutely scorched the ball in A-ball this year, (laughs) Um, especially in low A. Uh, Struggled a little bit um, on his promotion up. Uh, He stopped walking, basically, but it was in a relatively short time period. But he was on um, like a 40 home run pace uh, in low A projected out to a full season, which, uh, you know, and he hit over 370 there. Uh, He's not really like a 40 home run hitter, but he might be a 20, 25 home run hitter. And, you know, the the performance on some level matters. The best uh, tell on whether a guy is going to hit in the future is whether he's hitting in the present, which... Seems like I'm stating the most obvious truism <laughs> in the world, but you wouldn't like so many scouts will put like a plus hit tool on a player that's hitting 220 in a ball. And <laughs> generally, <laughs> players that hit 220 in a ball do not hit 290 in the majors. There's always exceptions, but for the most part, hitters hit like that's yeah. the that's the easiest maxim. Um, he's got real good hand eye coordination. He's got real good bat speed. Uh, the plate discipline and the pitch decisions are a concern. Um, and that goes kind of up and down the higher level uh, hitting prospects in the system. They're a concern for Luciano. They're a big concern for Joey Bart. Uh, the Giants, more so on the major league level, but this does speak to their overall player development, have gotten better outcomes on swing decisions recently than you would have expected given players past. You know, the um the Darren Ruffs of the world. Um <laughs> Evan Longoria, one of one of my favorite uh like weird stats about 2020 is if you just slightly lower the qualifying batted ball events on baseball savant, Evan Longoria all of a sudden has a top five average exit velocity in oh, the yeah. major leagues, which I like think hardly nobody realized. That they, they um, were pumping that up especially early in the season, he fell off later in the season because he got hurt. Obviously he had, he had, he had the shoulder Mm -hmm. thing, but when they were trying, so in the beginning, like are the giants real, right? That was kind of the story. Is this team real? And so one of the things that they were saying a lot of that they were writing, the writers were writing is that, you know, Evan Longoria is playing at a level, at least hitting at a level that he hadn't hit in, in quite a while as far as how hard he was hitting the baseball. Unfortunately, he gets hurt, and then it kind of, you know, he didn't really have a good postseason against the Dodgers either. But that was like one of the things. It's like, look, this could be an outlier, but this could be a special season because of these different things. One of those things was Evan Longoria. The, the Giants are doing something at the upper levels of their farm and their major leagues, but especially in the major leagues, that is causing hitters to make better swing decisions and square the ball up more than they should be based on projections and passed out. Brandon Belt, right? Yes. Yeah, that's another great example. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Buster Posey's 2021. Um, 
it's hard to say exactly what that is because if they have cracked some magical code, they're going to try and keep that suck. They're going to try and keep that quiet as long as they can because they don't want all the other teams in baseball figuring it out. Now that stuff always gets out within a few years. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certainly been speculation um, on the baseball parts of the internet that they're doing some type of sign stealing or whatnot. I have <laughs> utterly no idea. Like, there's no, that may or may not ever come out if it's happening. Right. The Astros were the only team that got caught, but they weren't right. the only, well, actually they weren't the Red Sox did too. Right. But um, yeah, I, they're doing something later on that is causing these players to achieve better swing decisions. And I'm really curious to see if that ends up coming true for these 19, 20 year old prospects um, that really aren't achieving that now. And I think Joey Bart's going to be the first test of that because it sure seems like he's going to be the starting catcher this upcoming season. But Palmeiras also kind of falls into that category where, you know, he's got some tools. He hits the ball really hard. Um, he's just gotta, he's gotta be able to make the decisions to only swing at good strikes. Otherwise he's going to have swing and miss problems. And otherwise he's going to have a hard time continuing to carry the, uh, hit ability all the way up the chain. Cause it's general, you know, if pitchers can start feeding you breaking balls in the dirt and you swing at them, it's really hard to keep hitting for an average that starts with three. Um, you know, another truism that doesn't, you know, a lot of things in the baseball prospect world are like really obvious if you actually think about them for more than a couple minutes, but sometimes it's hard to like see the forest through the trees. Uh, <laughs> But he's got really good bat-to-ball ability, and he's got really good um, bat speed. And that's the foundation of a guy that's going to hit for average and power. Brad, if you were to to give credit for this, you know, what, what Jarrett was saying about, for whatever reason, the Giants hit, uh, you know, they're hitting a lot of harder line drives these days. Is it coach number 13 in the dugout <laughs> or coach number 25 in the dugout? Who gets yeah, the, the Giants have uh, have kind of taken that whole thing that, that has been uh, kind of blossoming through the majors recently. And they've uh, employed, you know, the the 10 man uh, coaching staff for offense, the 10 man coaching staff for pitching. Um Donnie Ecker, uh, who had a lot of credit uh, given to him for the Giants' uh, offensive turnaround the last couple of years, he's now the offensive coordinator, which <laughs> now now there are offensive coordinators in baseball. He is the offensive coordinator of the Texas Rangers this coming season and a bench coach. Um, so we may see the Rangers with the turnaround, although they did sign, uh, you know, everybody they could get their hands on <laughs> in the off season so far. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and Mike Kruko has said a couple of times too, in some interviews that, that he has seen that this is the first time he's ever seen a giants team actually go to the plate with an approach, with a plan. Um, and, and it's, so it's a lot of studying. It's a lot of film. Um, which is foreign to us. I mean, I, I played in a semi-pro league. Garrett played in the semi-pro league, and it was, you know, go up there and, and uh, ask the guy coming back who just struck <laughs> out, what, what did he have? Oh, he's got a big breaking ball. All right. <laughs> First time I'm about to see it. So it's a different world now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it about the the iPad? And, you know, they used to flip through the the binders, you know, but now I guess it's that you can go into the dugout or uh, into the offices and quickly check out the iPad. Like there's so many different things that they're that they're able to do now. 
Have you guys been able to kind of uh, figure out, you know, what stuff actually works and maybe what doesn't work from that end? So a lot of it works. I My opinion on it is that it tends to be really individualized to the player. Like what works for Brennan Crawford may not work for Wilmer Flores. Um, you know, the, the scooping ones- ball. The dirt doesn't work for Wilmer Flores either, by the way. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, you know, well, I yeah, saw Wilmer. Fan, you know. Yeah, you're a I saw fan, Wilmer so Flores play shortstop for an entire year. <laughs> no. I, lo- I love that guy. I love that guy. I love it when he swings. I love that long swing. He'll he'll hit some he'll have, have some clutch hits, but oh yeah, watching him play defense. Please please bring us the DH. <laughs> so so there's hitters with very simple swings who don't really need to do much to maintain them and can just kind of go up there and hit the ball and don't need much preparation. And then there's hitters who want to know absolutely every single thing. They want to know the pitcher's attack angle, arm slot, um, spin rates, uh, everything on the planet. And then there's every level of in-between. So one of the things that the better um, and smarter teams, and I would absolutely consider the Giants as one of the smartest teams in all facets in the majors right now. Um, They're right up there now with the Dodgers, uh, the Rays, um, the Yankees are arguably up there, the Guardians, uh, but the Giants are right there too um, in terms of it's how you present this type of stuff to the players. And I think – Gabe Kapler has improved a lot at that since he was manager of the Phillies um, and also since he was an executive with the Dodgers. I think he's improved in the presentation of that information to the players and getting the players the information of what they need. And that, in part, is assembling a really good coaching staff and um, what's kind of what's called conduit positions um, – now which sometimes are in the coaching staff or sometimes in the front office but interact a lot with the players anyway um a lot of teams now have individual staff members whose job it is to kind of gather up the information that the players want and present it to them in a digestible format that they can then use um so from our perspective in analyzing this stuff a lot of what's available publicly is kind of at the major league level is behind what teams are doing. Um, like the StatCast data is really fun and is really insightful in certain circumstances um, if you manipulate it, but teams are like seven steps beyond. Um, I have a friend that does machine learning environments Jeez. for a major league team, um, you know, and they just like, they have this incredible wealth of information. They're doing like just wild stuff with it that tends to come out publicly like three or four years after it actually happens. (laughs) Now you take the next step down to the minor leagues and we don't even have a lot of that information available to us. Um, There's like, you can go on baseball savant and find the velocity and spin rate of either every pitch that was thrown in the majors last year or 99.99% of them. I don't know if they dropped a few in data collection errors or nothing, something. There's no similar repository for minor league information. Mm -hmm. Um, It exists privately. I can fire off a text message for somebody that works for the team for a team and get that information if I need to, but it's much harder in the prospect analysis community to contextualize because, okay, I know, what this um 
I know what this exit velocity against major league pitching in a major league data set with major league equipment uh, means, but what does it actually mean for low A? Um, so Marco Luciano had one of the best average exit velocities for any top prospect in 2021. You know, he averaged around 91 miles an hour, which would be a really good number at the major league level. But it's a little bit less instructive because we don't know, like, if that was at the major league level, I'd be able to tell you, like, what percentile it is compared and all of this advanced data. I'd be able to even mine a little bit more advanced data. At the minor league level, it's more of an interesting anecdote. Now, for teams that have the full contextualization, it's not an interesting anecdote. They can they can do the entire package with it. Um, and there are teams that are moving away from traditional scouting and just moving towards analyzing kind of those scouting metrics uh, in addition to video. If you go to a minor, the, the, if you guys go to a San Jose game or any other minor league game next year, look at just how many cameras the teams have set up in the stadium. Uh, most teams are traveling, you know, four, five, six cameras plus the ones at the home team, plus you'll get like some Edgertronic type stuff behind the plate, which is the super slow motion, high frame stuff. You'll, sometimes you can be at a minor league game and the, between the two organizations, plus any scouts are there, you can see a couple dozen um, like cameras just there capturing this information so they can go back and watch it later. So yeah, like on the minor league level, there's much less public information, but teams are still doing the same thing that they're doing at the major league level. Um, at the major league level, you know, for pitchers, spin rate's interesting, uh, vertical attack angle or vertical approach angles, um, something that a lot of uh, – there's been a lot of more recent analysis of that being something that's important. Uh, there's also – an idea of something called seam shifted wake, which I'll be honest, I know what it is and I don't like <laughs> totally comprehend exactly how, but it's like how it's like the movement of how, especially sinkers. Uh, so like Logan Webb sinker, sure. like moves through the strike zone and why that sinker misses bats and other sinkers wouldn't. Right. Um, so there's like more and more advanced stuff um, that some of my colleagues at baseball perspectives have a really deep understanding about. Um, and I feel like an old fogey sometimes because uh, I am just trying to stay along in my late thirties and figure <laughs> out uh, what actually makes sense uh, for hitters. You know, exit velocity and launch angle are kind of the two uh, key stats we look at. Um, you can hit the ball as hard as you want, and if you hit it directly into the ground, it's not going to be good. You're going to have the world's hardest hit ground balls. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that's the DJ LeMayhew batted ball profile. The 2021 DJ LeMayhew batted ball <laughs> profile just beat the ball into the ground really hard. Now, uh, now because of the launch angle uh, becoming such a big thing over the last few years, is that why we're seeing the high fastballs yeah. coming into play more often to say, you know what, if we can – if we can get it up around your your upper letters at 97, 98, we can kind of combat that launch angle. There's definitely something to that. There's like the back and forth adjustment. And I think as time goes on, you'll start to see teams prioritize bat to ball uh, more to combat that. Mm -hmm. Some of it's that. Some of it is just that the advent of 
high-speed cameras and also TrackMan on like a individual design facility level really let both teams and private instructors break down what pitches were most effective in ways that you just weren't able to 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, certainly not 25 or 30 years ago. And it just ended up turning out that by and large, most pitchers get whiffs on high fastballs. Um, That that's, it's not universally true, but for the most part it is, especially ones that have, you know, traits of high spin or um, the correct approach angle through the zone. You actually want a flat fastball high in the zone. You don't really want a whole lot of movement on it. Um, So flat is good. Like Jacob deGrom throws a very flat fastball high in the zone at 101 miles an hour and nobody can hit it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So uh, we have three more guys to to look at, but before that, this is kind of like the halftime show here, Brad, I see that you're sipping on a little something Uh, there. Yeah. I got I got me some uncle tonight. Got, oh, uh, there we go, uncle. One nearest. of our show's favorites, the uncle nearest. A uh, mm-hmm. little bit of uh, some small batch whiskey, and um, I'm sipping slow. I'm saving up for the Super Bowl. I'm a Rams fan, so I'm just kind of taking it easy this week. Yeah, you you, you missed <laughs> it last week, Jared. We had the 49ers versus Rams discussion Ooh. at the end of the show. One of us. <laughs> was very happy, and one of us was very sad. I won't say who's who. (laughs) All right, so, um, Jared, I saw you sipping on something there as well. Yes, I have a drinking poinsettias for breakfast from Icarus Brewing, which is actually uh, down down the street from the Jersey Shore Blue Claws ballpark. Um, I tend to like fruity ales. I don't know. That probably says something about me. (laughs) I like the hazies. I like the hazies myself. So, yeah. This is a Berliner style Weiss ale with caracara oranges, cranberries, lactose, marshmallows, and rosemary. So I can drink like exactly one pint of this and then I'm (laughs) going to probably regret it. What, what, What percent is that? That is uh, 5.7. Oh, so well, that's I'll, good. I'll, I'll be okay yeah. there. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, but, uh, yeah. All right. So I have a high ball here. So I have there we go. the the beer glass. and I That was have... my grandfather's drink back in the day. Yeah. That means you're an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but so, so the way that I've done it, and I, and I mentioned this on, on a previous podcast, I like the big giant ice sphere and I throw it in the glass and then I put about a shot and a half of the Jameson stout Irish whiskey. They have the IPA one and the stout one. I couldn't find the IPA one. So, uh, so it has the beer taste and actually I don't, I, I like beer taste. I don't like the beer, um, the way that beer makes me feel. So having it in the whiskey and with the sparkling water and the ice cube, very refreshing. This is what I used to drink. Um, you know, we, we, Brad and I have talked about this, but the pandemic kind of made us all drink a little bit more than we were used to, to, to drink, be drinking. And so <laughs> when Crystal and I, we would watch the 49ers, like when she sees football, she's like beer. That's what, that's what she thinks of beer. And I'm like, I don't like beer. But I do have this like beer flavored whiskey. So then I'd have one of these for every 49ers game. 
And I was like, okay, probably not. I probably don't need it every week. So I, I'm bringing it back <laughs> just for just for this show. But um, okay, so let's get to the uh, the next three uh, folks here on the uh, the top 101 list. So at number 53 is uh, somebody who's kind of at a interestingly for Giants fans, I would say he is at a bit of a crossroads because it's kind of put up or shut up time for. Uh, a, a guy who probably deserves a little bit more time to to become a major leaguer and Joey Bart. Um, now, I, I'll tell you what we've heard, Jarrett. You, you tell us what, what the real story is. So what we've heard is uh, Joey Bart, um, he is coming along more on the defensive side. And from the offensive side, there's a, a worry that he's not going to be able to hit for average for for uh for anything and which is going to make him i think be a frustrating player for the fans because he's in the shadow of a future hall of famer named buster posey who just retired i feel bad i I feel almost like the the fan base is setting up joey bart for failure and the only way that he can actually do well in their eyes is to outplay the expectation but He's still on your list at number 53. He's the third highest Giants prospect on this list. What What's the real spiel about Joey Bart? So I absolutely hate player comps. Um, they are frequently lazy. Um, they the Players tend to be comp to players that look like them. So <laughs> comp like a, you know white right-handed catcher yeah. to a white right-handed catcher that maybe looks the same in the face and has the same kind of swing. Dirk, Nowitz- going- Dirk Nowitzki and Larry Bird. Yes, which I am now <laughs> going to do because the most obvious player cop I can think of on the 101 is Joey Bart to Mike Zanino. Um, they were both top, uh, top, top draft picks as college catchers, right-handed hitters, kind of stout behind the plate. Very good defenders and Zunino, you know, Zunino made the All Star game this year. Like, is that actually mm-hmm. a bad outcome for a top draft pick? I don't think it is. It might be a little bit overwhel- underwhelming when you consider where he was drafted and just how highly ranked a prospect he was. Um, Zunino is a little down on the list this year. Uh, this was the fourth year we'd ranked him. This is his lowest ranking. Uh, previously ranked within the top 50. Uh, he was number 29 last year. He kind of had a little bit of a stagnation year. He hit okay in AAA. He didn't hit great. Uh, AAA West is basically the easiest place on the planet to hit, especially with the new AAA baseball. So, like, you know, a little bit under 300 with, like, moderate powers, like, okay, it's not great. Um, you know, he didn't really play much at all in the majors, uh, whereas he had played significantly in 2020, but that really wasn't due to him. It was due to the fact that they didn't really want to carry him as a backup catcher. He had some injury problems, um, again. I think he pulled his quad or something like that. Um <sighs> Joey, everything could still come together late. Um, Catchers in particular tend to have nonlinear development patterns. Um, John Sickles, who I mentioned earlier, coined a term 25 years ago called young catcher offensive stagnation syndrome, where like some catchers just like don't hit due to the rigors of the catching position. 
at the same time, Bart is a very good defender, and we we think he's going to be a very good receiver and framer for the length of time that that's going to consider continue mattering, um, which I don't know whether that's going to be resolved in this CBA or not. But we like broadly think he's a very, very good defensive catcher. He's not as good as Adley Rutschman, but nobody, you know, Adley Rutschman is one of the best defensive catchers at any level of baseball. He's still very good defensively. Um, the hit tools, yeah, the hit tools are pretty major concern. Um, he's got big swing and miss issues. Um, he just he strikes out way more than you want, given his the rest of his profile. But he really only needs to hit, you know, 230, 240 to be a first division regular catcher, given his defense and his power, because he's going to bop a bunch of home runs. Yeah. And he's going to play really good defense. Um, I'll be honest. This was we had absolutely no idea where to rank him given the skill set. <laughs> you don't see a lot of twenty-five-year-old prospects on top prospect <laughs> right. lists. It's a weird quirk that he just was under the playing time limits from twenty twenty, and then didn't really get hardly any action in twenty twenty-one. Um, that he didn't graduate out. You know, I. <sighs> I think there's a fairly high chance he's going to be a first division regular starting catcher. Who's probably going to be frustrating because his on base percentage might only be 290, 300, 310. And you want better than that, but he's going to be a good defender. He's going to pop some home runs. And we decided for now that that was still a top one one prospect. If he, I can pretty much guarantee he is not going to be on this list next year because one of two <laughs> things is going to happen. He is going to establish himself as the starting catcher for the San Francisco Giants, in which case he'll be 400 plate appearances over the rookie minimums. Or if he doesn't, he's not going to be anywhere near a top 101 prospect list because then he's now he's going to be entering his age 26 season. And he's, you know, that kind of puts him on more of a path towards backup catcher realm. Um, catching prospects are tricky. They, they develop in really weird ways. But we have no... We have no concrete reason to think that Bart isn't going to be a first division catcher other than like this is just kind of a weird path. The pandemic year missing for him might have been a significant problem. Um, He was a player that probably could have used reps compared to, you know, some other players. He still really hasn't gotten a chance to get totally established. I mean, again, Buster Posey had a really awesome year last year. (laughs) Like the fact that he didn't, supplant Buster Posey in the middle of a pennant run, like, are we really going to, you know, demerit him for that? I don't think so. But at the same time, you know, he struck out way too much at AAA, and that's a concern. Buster ruined the perfect <laughs> scenario for Brad and I. We, we've been talking about yeah. We've been talking about Bart all year, and we were like, okay, right. here, here, here's what's going to happen. New CBA is going to be signed. National League gets a DH. Buster catches half the games. Bart catches half the games. They each flip flop against lefties when they when they hit the you know with the DH. It's going to be beautiful. He'll learn so much from Buster. And then Buster was just like, "Sorry guys, that's not my plan. I'm going to go take care of my family. I'll see you guys later." And now we have uh, Kurt Casale and then yeah. Joey Bart well, battling it, it out. And you could also have Patrick Bailey breathing down his neck in a year, possibly, right? Yeah, Patrick Bailey's a 
he had an interesting season. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he like really struggled in high A and got yeah. demoted, and then was really good in low A. Uh, suffice to say, if you're top half of the first round pick, like getting demoted is not ever really something you want to see happen. But like, there wasn't. I think given his struggles at the high A level, he might be a little further away than maybe the Giants hoped when they drafted him um, back in 2020. Uh, So I don't, I don't know, but yes, he does have the potential to get kind of um, caught in the middle. Um, And that, you know, they drafted uh, Bailey knowing that they already had Bart, that they'd spent a high first round pick on Bart two years earlier. You can never have like enough good catching prospects. Right. The Dodgers just went through this where they, um, Will Smith was the one who got to the majors the first. Will Smith is now arguably with Posey retired. There's an argument. Will Smith is the best catcher in baseball. Now um, they had uh Kiebert Ruiz right behind him and traded him for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. <laughs> And now they've got another kid uh, who made our 101 this year, Diego Cartaya, who just like hit the hit the crud out of the ball in uh, a ball this season. Didn't really play um, a whole lot, but you know he's a top 101 prospect too. Like you can just never have enough catchers because weird stuff happens. You can always move him to another position. As you guys mentioned another time, I think it's overwhelmingly likely that there's a National League DH starting in 2022. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean. Bailey could be there uh, maybe in 2020, you know, later 2023, 2024. Um, Bart certainly has a chance to establish himself. You know, Kurt Casale is like a nifty backup catcher <laughs> type. He's not – if if the Giants are giving Kurt Casale 400 plate appearances <laughs> this year, something has went really rough. wrong. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't um, want to hear about that. There, there was a point <laughs> last year when Brad and I – we're caught we're, we're basically whenever Kirk Sally came to the plate, we were like, Oh, pitcher spot is up. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was hitting like one sixty or something for like but, he was, but you know, he had the injury in uh in spring training, so he was coming off of that. So uh, the second half of his season was, was, yeah, he, was he played was much good. Better, he sure. was very good. Uh and in the playoffs, good. Um you, you know, he didn't get to catch at all in the playoffs because it was Buster Posey every single game at that point. Yeah. Uh but but yeah, I think I think Kapler really is going to have um, and and he's the right man for the job too. He's going to need to keep the pressure off of Bart this season uh, because you know as, as Giants fans and and Garrett and I are more realists. But there is going to be a lot of pressure on Bart. There's going to be a ton of pressure on Bart. Um, we we kept saying you know for Joey Bart. Just be yourself. Don't be Buster Posey. You can't be Buster Posey. You just have to go out there and be yourself and be who you are. And I think Kapler is going to be able to be the guy to to keep that pressure off of him this season, which I think could help him out, uh, you know, kind of get acclimated to a full season in the majors. Interestingly, Gabe Kapler himself was sort of a prospecty kind of guy. So I imagine he understands that whole thing a lot better than, you know, than most of the, the managers, uh, I guess, I guess you would say Dusty Baker was, was also a, a pretty high prospect, but I, you know, he, he understands that psychological thing and I think he can help Bart, but at the end of the day, it's going to be whether or not, you know, uh, it, I, I have a feeling because this, I, I see this happen a lot and, and, you know, I'm sure you guys study this, which is, you know, guy comes in, 
And like you said, you, there's not a lot of minor league stuff that you could actually use data wise. And he comes in and then that first month he may play well. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, now we have data. Oh, slider. You know, you can't hit that pitch. And, and then just, that's just what happens. So it's like, almost like, you know, they adjust, then you got to readjust and then they adjust to your readjust. And what, it, I mean, which makes it a fascinating thing, right? Yeah, it's second time around the league um, for hitters and pitchers. Sometimes pitchers will come out really hot first time around the league, especially if they've got um, some type of unique delivery or unique pitch that players really aren't seeing a whole lot of, and they'll just you know blow the league away. Uh, the Mets had a, a pitcher come up last year, Tyler McGill, who was really great the first time around the league, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is this is his stuff and now he can hit him. And that's certainly true for hitters too. Like the hitter, I think that's a little less true than it used to be because there is, the teams do have like some of this minor league swing data and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, so like they're going to start feeding Joey Bart, like high fastballs and curveballs in the dirt immediately because there's, there is that kind of data out there. But at the same time, especially for perhaps some less heralded prospects, you, know, you can definitely get you know players to kind of ambush uh, first time around the league, and then later on kind of get figured out a little bit. That's kind of that's like one of those older baseball scouting maxims. But it's absolutely a thing. All right, last two folks here. We have uh, Luis Matos at number thirty. Uh, what well, tell us a little bit about Matos and? sort of what his uh, next couple of years you think could possibly look like? So the last two guys we're going to talk about, um, Matos and Marco Luciano, plausibly could be the best prospect in baseball within the next two or three years. Like, both of them are that good. Um, Matos was, you know, he didn't make the 101 last year, uh, which was like the weird pandemic year. Um, we had good, really good reports on him. Um, the minor leagues were really weird in 2020. There was no minor leagues. There was just there was the alternate site, and some teams participated in a data share at the alternate site and in instructional leagues, and some teams didn't. The teams that participated in the data and video share, we could at least ask other teams about their prospects, like, because you don't actually want to. So if you're getting um, industry opinions on Giants prospects, what the Giants say is interesting, but they have an incentive to lie to you. (laughs) You really want to hear what the, oh God, I've got to pick a team I don't talk to. The Colorado Rockies (laughs) think about the Giants prospects. (laughs) You actually don't want to hear about the Rockies because the Rockies aren't the team you'd want to ask, but you want, you want like a third party evaluation. You don't, you don't want what the team's going to say because the team's going to blow the smoke. Am I allowed to mildly curse here? Yes, absolutely. Or, or blow smoke up your ass about the <laughs> about the player because you know teams want their prospects rated highly on the baseball prospectus prospect lists and also all the all the other players that do prospect lists, all the other places that do prospect lists. Um, so. Matos, we like got like really good reports from the instructional leagues on, but we kind of needed to see it in actual live game action. So he comes out this year and we had uh, somebody that was doing coverage of the California area. 
a kid named Trevor Andreessen, who just got hired by the Atlanta Braves as an area scout, um, which, you know, we, we have, the, we, we take pride in the fact that our employees get hired by teams. It means yeah. good. <laughs> um, but Trevor, like, as soon as he saw Matos um, in, I forget whether it was May or June, was just absolutely blowing this guy up. Like he's like, you know, one of the best hitting prospects in baseball, this and this and that. And we got confirmatory looks. We have another guy out in California, Brandon Williams. Um, and, you know, teams started being all over Matos uh, pretty early on. Uh, Matos, Luciano, and Palmeiras all signed as part of the same international free agency class in 2018. And it's like, it's really, and they were all higher profile prospects when they signed, um, especially Luciano. Luciano was the highest profile at the time. And it's really unusual for an IFA class to produce three years out, three and a half years out, three top one-on-one prospects. Matos, I, Matos has a chance to hit for big average big power um could play in center field could potentially play either corner outfield spot if he has to it's just he he swings the bat really hard but also makes really quality contact and doesn't swing and miss a lot given how hard he swings and how much uh he's putting into the ball and that's like that's very, very, very hard to teach, and it is very rare. Um, he's not the biggest guy. He's actually on the smaller side. So it's not like, oh, uh, wow, a projectable physical frame. But, you know, he just he went to full season A ball as a teenager, which itself is pretty impressive, and all three of these guys did, um, and just absolutely smashed the ball around and didn't swing and miss nearly as much as the other guys while doing it. Um, he he still needs to improve on pitch selectivity. Um, he's going to have to hit the ball in the air more, um, which, again, those are very, very common things for a teenager. But there's a there's an outside shot. He's one of the you know five or ten best prospects in base in baseball. If you have me back on in like July or next <laughs> December or something like that, like he's he is a really 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 good prospect. He just needs more experience. He has a chance to be an offensive force. You know, three four years down the road. Is is he gonna be at Eugene or do you think they shoot him up to Double A? No, they'll send they'll send him to High A first. If he has a big. Uh, you know, any I think all three of these guys are probably gonna start 2022 at high A. Um and the lockout, if it continues, isn't gonna affect uh players who are not on the forty man roster. Right. Um so and these guys are all twenty eighteen IFA, so they're not on the forty man roster yet. Um all all three of these guys I think are gonna start at Eugene, but any of them could get promoted to double A with like sure. a really big uh first half. You know, that's absolutely you know that that's a plausible thing for any of these guys to end up at double a but i don't think um none of these guys are really in like a level skipper they're all young for their age um and they all have kind of some swing decision stuff where they're going to want to get them more reps in age appropriate level all right so the next guy and he sits at on your list he sits at number nine now the precursor to the world series teams had Tim Lincecum as a high prospect, Madison Bumgarner as a high prospect, Buster Posey as a high prospect, and now Luciano is 
probably the I think he's the he's the highest prospect since Buster Posey, right? For for the San Francisco Giants. Was there anybody else who was high as highly touted I'd as he to was? Think about this for a minute. Um not that I can recall in my time at BP. Not not that I can recall, but I may be uh I, I mean, you guys would probably. I mean, they I had, you know, the, the Giants had guys like uh, Brian Reynolds who blossomed into a really nice player. But even when yeah. they traded him, he, I don't. Yeah, think no, he, he, he wasn't hmm. like a top. Um, the Giants generally did not p- pump out a whole lot of top prospects before the current office took over. Um, they also, as you mentioned, had a tendency to trade them for really good <laughs> yeah. early years. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah, they, Brian, were trying to, they were trying to maintain at that yeah. point in the early 2010s. Remember, remember, um, do you remember uh, who was the kid? Lu- Lucius, Lu- was it Lucius Fox who they traded for Matt Moore? <laughs> yes. yes. Um, he's he he's still playing somewhere, now. right? Yeah. yeah. He, he made a 101, I think, when he was in the Giants system. He like did, yeah. Maybe four years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good glove. We thought he was going to develop some power, and it just like never showed up. And one of the things we've kind of um, this, but there's actually a pretty good relationship between power and average. Like if it, it's really hard unless you have like Nick Madrigal's bat to ball and ball placement skills, or David Fletcher, um, or you know Luis Arias. To maintain a high average while not hitting the ball very hard, like it's really hard to do. Um, when you hit the ball really hard, your miss hits also tend to drop in in front of outfielders or in gaps. Whereas when you don't hit the ball hard, your miss hits tend to go right at the shortstop or second baseman. <laughs> that that's literally what they. And now I'm going to go back a little ways. This is more Brad in my era. Dale Murphy would get so many hits that would fall in front of the center fielder because he'd take these giant swings <laughs> center fielder's first step is back and then it falls right in front of him yeah so you know lucius fox never came into any power and then the hit tool kind of evaporated because he never came into any power and didn't make like extraordinary amounts of contact uh but yeah luciano is the best prospect the giants have had in a while um suffice to say um you know high dollar international signing was considered from the time he signed. I am going to spare you guys the rent on the international signing system. <laughs> I have written about that. It's a corrupt mess. So oh, yeah. We'll right. oh, yeah. Um, they're, yeah. they're agreeing to these deals when these kids are 13 or 14 years old. But at the time that he signed, he was considered one of the top Dominican players in that class of player. And uh, he's really kind of con- continued to be um, – Ever since uh, 2019, and he's been uh, towards the top of our 101. This is, I think, the third year running because, again, that like weird 2021 101 kind of in some areas didn't have a whole lot of change from the 2020 101 because we didn't have, you know, new and particularly interesting information about the players. so Luciano went from 14 to 8 to 9. So he's kind of been in that t- extreme top prospect mix. And I think that's relatively um, where he's also been at other sites. 
Um, again, I'm aware of this, even if I pretend not to be. <laughs> um, and that was based on, you know, in 2019, as a 17-year-old, he came over to stateside ball at an age where almost all of his peers were playing in the Dominican Summer League and, like, crushed the ball in the complex. Um Continued to progress well in 2020 to the best any of us could tell at the time. You know, he, the Giants uh, posted more instructional league video that year publicly than most teams. So we were actually able to, like, see him play, whereas other teams were really uh, secretive about everything. Um, he hits the ball the only prospect I can say in the minor leagues, it's a top prospect that definitively hits the ball harder than Luciano is O'Neill Cruz, who is a six foot eight shortstop prospect <laughs> in the Pittsburgh pirate system. And I know how crazy all of that sounds, but he actually got called up this season and did briefly play shortstop with them. Wow. He's wow. Now the largest shortstop in major league history. <laughs> A, a very a very unique uh, it's like left-handed Aaron Judge but a shortstop like that's the only wow. way I could describe it no idea what's going to happen with his career he hits the ball harder than Marco Luciano but like there's other guys that hit the ball at a similarly hard level um Jordan Walker in the Cardinal system Ellie Dela Cruz in the red system but Luciano just hits the ball really 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 hard he was on the path based on what he was doing at low A um, in San Jose to be a top five prospect for us. He was crushing the ball. All of our looks on him were very good. He got promoted to high A for the last month, month, month and a half of the season and just absolutely got eaten alive in like a concerning way. He struck out like almost 40% of the time. That's a very small sample, but we did have some concerns about his ability to adjust to more advanced breaking pitches, to recognize mm-hmm. spin in the dirt, to recognize um, hard sliders coming into his hands, to recognize hard sliders going away from him, uh, to recognize change-ups in the dirt. It's not breaking pitch, but it's an off-speed pitch. Um, He then went to the Arizona Fall League and kind of did the same thing there where he kind of struggled with the pitch recognition, especially on stuff down in the zone. So we kind of backed off. Um, I believe we had him number four at midseason, and we kind of backed him down uh, in the 101 based on, okay, there's – you know, we kind of knew that these swing and miss concerns were here, but they're perhaps a little more – urgently pressing than we had maybe thought in July. Um, And that happens again. Some of the movement on these lists is a little bit artificial. There's there's orbital rankings are not the best way to do this. They're just the way that everybody likes reading this information. If I could just like say, this is like a tier one B prospect, it would be much more technically accurate, but nobody would know what the heck I was talking about. (laughs) Um, So Luciano is a really good prospect. If there's a concern with him, it's his, it's that he's chasing stuff outside the zone, and that led to a really high amount of swing and miss at the high A level. At the same time, he was 19 years old and playing at high A, which is like really, really good um, just for him to make that level at that time. 
and it was in a pretty small sample. It was only, I think, 30 or 40 games, so it wasn't, like, horribly concerning. He looked okay in the AFL. Again, he, I, I think he just turned 20 before the AFL started. Uh, and most of the pitchers in the AFL are, you know, 23, 24, 25, 26, with more advanced breaking pitches and advanced secondary stuff. You know, the quality of pitching in the AFL is extremely varied, but oftentimes resembles more double-A pitching than high-A pitching. Um, if Luciano comes out and just starts smoking the ball in another shot at the high-A level and doesn't chase as much, he could be the number one prospect in baseball as soon as midseason this year. The, the talent is all there. He's got a chance to stick at shortstop. I suspect his best long-term position is probably going to end up being third base. He's already kind of, you know, we expect he's, his, he's just going to get bigger. Yeah, we expect his physical development's probably going to take him to third base. He doesn't have a ton of range already. Um, teams tend, to, and you know, the Giants have started to get really into positional versatility recently too. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole idea of like positionless baseball where everybody just kind of roams around and whatever, <laughs> um, whatever setup is best for that particular batter. And Luciano could end up being that kind of player too, where it kind of bounces between second and yeah. third and short, depending on the matchups. Uh, but you know, he's got good hands. He's got good arms. So he's going to stick on the dirt somewhere, uh, you know, third, short second. Uh, but yeah, he has it. There's again, the best thing a prospect can do is hit the ball really hard and make a lot of contact. He just needs to make some more contact. And he'd shown signs of improvement there early in the season that kind of tailed off towards the end of the season. All right. I have a couple people who were not on this list who I want to get your quick thoughts and we'll just do quick, uh, quick fire, you know, your, your, your first thoughts on, on these guys. Um, and then we'll let you go. I mean, you've been you've been on the you you've been a, a great guest and been on much longer than than I than I thought we were gonna. I was gonna be like, oh yeah, we'll have you for like thirty minutes. But we always do that, and then it ends up being like twice as much. Well, and but, the, and the biggest problem now is I'm I'm super excited for baseball. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I have a known tendency to be long winded on podcasts. No, no great. this is it's, fantastic it's because I mean, I, I now I'm super excited for like now I live in Reno, so I I get the reno aces um so you know we get the you know we get the old pcl teams that that pass through here and everything else so it's fantastic two hours from sacramento uh the aces open up against the river cats uh this season at home so i'm super excited i'm gonna probably go to three games uh my oldest daughter she's 15 she's super into baseball too and she's ready to go she's like yeah dad when do they open let's go let's go so that's the nice thing is minor league baseball is still happening. So if you live in a minor league town, you still get minor league baseball. Uh, Garrett's near uh, San Jose, so he can go to some San Jose Giants games. Oh, yeah. Um, so so now I'm, I'm, I'm like, we're not big prospects, guys. You know, like Garrett said at the beginning, we just kind of follow the big guys. But now I, I might have to get the minor league baseball TV package as well. Now I'm, I'm, I, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, I will warn you, minor league me package is largely terrible. Um, <laughs> right? Well, you know, it's baseball. Not, this is one of those things I'm probably not supposed to say. Um, 
they, a lot of them is just like scoreboard feeds with like the radio broadcast and some of it will yeah. include like the advertising graphics for like these random like law firms in the middle of nowhere. Just <laughs> hey, like that. I have no problem with that. <laughs> like I was I was um, watching Max Meyer video, uh, the Miami 2020 first round draft pick, and I'm watching the video um, and I think it was in Pensacola and like just like every third pitch there'd be like a graphic for like some random Pensacola <laughs> station and then there'd be like let's go Pensacola like pink and yellow oh, graphics out of like trying I'm like trying to watch this guy slider and there's just like random <laughs> stuff popping up. That is great. <laughs> all right. All right. Two two for me and me I don't know if Brad has one or two, but uh I think the the one person that is missing from this list that Giants fans will go like what the heck? Where is this guy? Is Elio Ramos? And so where does he fit um, as far as a, a prospect in, in the Giants system? And, and what are the expectations? We had him number nine in the system right behind Bailey. I, I want to preface. We had, I don't know if our organizational rankings have officially published. It feels like something I should know, but I don't. <laughs> um, we have the Giants as having the second best farm system in baseball. So like it. Like it a number lot. nine in the Giants list is not bad. They put five players on the 101. Um, right. Elio Ramos was on the really long list for the 101. So he would still be one of the top. 150 170 best prospects in baseball um this is just kind of one where we he was a hold in place kind of guy from 2019 he had been up and down our lists based on some uncertainty over the hit tool um kind of the same things we had discussed about the other players and you know, he just he had an awful lot of swing and miss um, in 2021. His approach didn't really hold up against high minors pitching. He didn't really hit for a whole lot of power against high minors pitching. And he kind of needs to get that hit and power combination. It wasn't like he's still a very good prospect. Um, he kind of had one of these bumpy runs, I believe, in 2018, too, uh, where he kind of didn't look so hot and, you know, had a rough season at low A as an 18-year-old, but then he came out in 2019 and looked like he put everything together. You know, the pandemic year was tough. Um, he showed some maybe signs of improvement towards the end of the season, um, in triple A. I, I don't think he's a lost cause or anything, but he's kind of, he's had an up and down ride and his stock's a little bit down right now. Um, again, because we kind of held everything in place from 2020 to 2021, dropping from the thirties to off the list might look like a bigger decline than it actually is, but he's still a good prospect. He just needs to make more contact. All right. The last person, uh, uh, that I wanted to ask you about, and now he th- there's literally n- no pro minor league anything on him is the Giants' number one draft pick uh, uh, out, of, out of Mississippi State, uh, Bednar. Now I, I got to see his one start. I don't know if he, uh, he made. I think is the only one he made in San Jose. I think he threw two innings. He it was very easy. He didn't talk, you know, he didn't throw any harder than 94 through a couple innings. But uh, if like ha- when I look at his minor league stats, 
like the minor league stats because the game is is very offensive like you know they, they, they're not like great or anything but how how does he fit as somebody who you know eventually could be on these lists like how do the giants see him as as being in the upper echelon so he was in contention for the 101. He wasn't, um, if I look at my spreadsheet here, we have him listed as a 103, which means he wasn't in like the next 10 or 15 guys, but he was in like the 10 or 15 after that. And there's really not, that like overstates the difference between him and Kyle Harrison. He, we have him with the same grade as Kyle Harrison. Um, it's just, you know, the, gr- the group of players with that grade goes from, like, number 75 to, like, number 130. <laughs> and Harrison is just at the top of that. And we have to cut off the list somewhere. And the person that had my job 15 years ago decided it was 101. And I <laughs> am still living with that decision. Um, so he was a very good prospect. He was kind of considered maybe a late first or second rounder kind of at the midpoint of the college season and then really started improving towards the end of the college season. Um, Something that happened in 2021 is that MLB pushed the draft back to the all-star game weekend, uh, which put me in the weird position because I was covering the futures game, the all-star game for BP in Denver. So the draft, which theoretically was something that I probably, that I have a lot of interest in professional interest was happening two miles away from my hotel room, and I didn't go to it um, because it was more insightful for me to watch it on TV and be able to text people and tweet my hot takes. Um, <laughs> but bet, but because of that, Bednar's College World Series performance, which was absolutely phenomenal, raised his draft stock towards the end of the draft season, whereas in previous years, the draft would have actually taken place before the College World Series, so he might have gone, you know, 10 or 15 picks later uh, because, you know, he had a stuff jump in this incredible performance for Mississippi State um, when they won the College World Series this year. Um, and that kind of pushed him up draft boards a little bit. Uh, he's kind of a newer age pitcher, so to speak, in that he tends to spam fastball slider a lot. Um one of the pitch design quirks teams have done more of is if you don't throw a good changeup, just don't throw your changeup, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, there was this idea that you had to throw a changeup no matter what to be a starting pitcher. And if you were just a fastball slider guy or just a fastball curve guy or just a fastball slider curve guy, you had to be a closer. You couldn't be a starting pitcher. That no longer exists. You got pitchers like Tyler Glass now that never throw a change up at all. <laughs> Aces, right? Um, so Bednar does not have a particularly advanced change. It's something he could potentially develop in the pros, but there's a plus fastball plus slider combination here um, with some real good command and pitchability. Um you know, I would expect he's going to cruise to the double AA, A, triple A level pretty quickly. They might even start him in double A. The um, I was just talking about Max Meyer. The Marlins started him in double A with a similar profile last year, kind of a more explosive fastball slider mix, but the same kinds of pluses and the same kinds of concerns. Um, yeah, he was not far off. We when we did draft rankings. Um, my colleague, my 
ex-colleague. I'm going to get used to that. Keenan Lamb, who just got hired by the Cardinals, um, did draft rankings. And Bednar was one spot on our draft rankings behind Gavin Williams, who got drafted by the Guardians. Actually, a few picks later than Bednar got drafted by the Giants. Williams made the back of the list. Bednar just barely did not. Uh, he's absolutely a player who could be a top one-on-one prospect at this time next year. You know, he's a very good pitcher. We'd like to see some kind of development of a third pitch with him. It's still good to have a useful third pitch. You can throw more than like eight or 10% of the time. Uh, but you know, it's a real good fastball slider mix. Um, it's got uh, the, the buzzword is good pitch characteristics now, um, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying that he gets guys out, even though it's not necessarily like supreme amounts of velocity or break. Like he's not a hundred mile an hour guy and he's not like a crazy sweeping slider guy, but you know, he has good command of a mid nineties fastball and a plus slider that just makes batters miss. All right, Brad. Was there anyone else that you wanted to bring up before we let Jarrett get out of here? No, Jarrett hit the hit hit Patrick Bailey for me. That was my big one. Uh, just you know the Giants catching situation. But but I do want to get one last thing from you, just real quick. Sure. Just for fun, because you know we don't have baseball right now. But <laughs> but I want you to give me your 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 just kind of sky high, shoot for the moon, pick one Giants prospect and give us a, a some sort of crazy shoot for the moon projection for a giants prospect that you like this year. Oh, so somebody that we haven't talked about yet. No, right? you could go that way. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, Ryan Murphy, a right-handed pitcher pitched at San Jose last year. Um, he was, we, we talked about how the giants moved around some money in the 2025 round draft. He was their fifth round pick out of something called Lemoyne College, which <laughs> I am going to be honest. Uh, it's according to Wikipedia, it's a private Jesuit college in DeWitt, New York. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I was going to say it could be in any state. Really. <laughs> yes. Um, they drafted him with the sole intention of saving bonus money that they could use to get uh, Kyle Harrison and other picks. Um he absolutely was lights out in a ball last year. Um, and uh, Trevor thought he was a future major league starting pitcher. And we had him number 12 on our list. The giants were deep enough that our top 10 actually went beyond 10 um, because we thought Murphy who's this fifth round pick out of a college that hardly anybody's ever heard of um, and signed for some incredibly low amount. I want to say signed for like 20 K. It was insane. It was incredibly low. Um, if I told 25 K, wow, I was close. Um, yeah. Um, and he just like, he, he has, you know, a nice low nineties fastball. He's got two good breaking balls. The fastball has got really good pitch characteristics. It's that same thing I've been talking about. Um, the Giants took the the Giants somehow got pitch data on this kid that pitched for college nobody's ever heard of, and discovered that his fastball, based on these metrics, and again in a season where you know almost nothing happened in college baseball, college baseball got shut down on like March fifteenth, um, and just found this kid with great pitch characteristics that they didn't have to pay any money to, they they didn't have to give a high selection to who's now a legitimate prospect and he's, you know, a guy that could be like a fourth starter type and move pretty quickly. Awesome. That, that is love it. Now that is, now that is somebody 
that Brad is going to keep an eye on. Brad, Brad's right. job for this podcast is going to be the Ryan Murphy report for 2022. <laughs> hey, I'm all over it. <laughs> hey, Jared, that's awesome. Thank you for uh, for coming on with us. Uh, let people know. I mean, we flashed the, the Twitter handle on the video, but this is also an audio podcast. So let people know where they can find you, how they can help you keep doing what, what you love doing, man. Well, I uh, write at Baseball Prospectus, which is at baseballprospectus.com, or you can just Google Baseball Prospectus. Um, we are a paywalled site. We do some cool free stuff, but uh, the subscriptions do pay my uh, monthly stipend. As we were discussing earlier, I am not under – I basically get to do cool stuff that I want to do. Like, I'm not under – like word count restrictions or article restrictions. And I'd like to keep it that way for as long as possible. <laughs> um, so I write about prospects. There. I write about other stuff sometimes too. I write about major league stuff. Occasionally I'll write some overly strident ethics and baseball piece. Cause I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> I've done a little bit of labor stuff. I'll probably given where things are going, I might be doing some more. Um, my Twitter is at J a Seidler S E I D L E R. I would not suggest anybody follow me. Um, my, Too late. I already followed. Yeah, my feed is an absolute disaster. I tend to just tweet whatever's on the top of my head. Um, if you're listening to this podcast because uh, you're a fan of Garrett's wrestling work, I do tweet about wrestling all the time. Um, I tweet about baseball. I tweet about leftist politics sometimes. <laughs> um, it's it's all over the place. I curse all the time. It's yeah. terrible. Um, but if for some reason that appeals to you, you can find yeah. me. At so I was going to say, so you're one of us. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a disaster. I just, I, I probably should log off. <laughs> hey, man. So, uh, you, you said it. I, I didn't say it. You said if we, if we would have you back on, and definitely, uh, I would love to circle back with you, especially because you know some of these guys that we were talking about and how they develop or how they don't develop, or even you know, Joy Bart. We'll, we'll see what goes on there, but. Um, I really enjoyed this. Like this was amazing to have access to somebody like you who has so much insight, and does so much great work uh, analysis on things that, you know, Brad and I can't necessarily explain. And then we bring you on and you explain it's, it's been awesome. So thank you for, uh, for coming on. Anytime. This was great guys. Yeah, All right. Thank so you, Jared. appreciate it. So, uh, so Jared, uh, thanks again. We're going to, we're going to uh, move on. We'll do one last segment with me and Brad, just because I kind of want you know, to show his Rams a little bit of love on the Super Bowl. But Jarrett, thanks again. Uh, and uh, check Jarrett out. I think I'm going to buy there, there is still a physical book, right? There is still a physical. There is absolutely. The book should be showing up in bookstores probably this week. Um, I know people have already gotten it that like pre-ordered it off of Amazon or um, from our publisher. So I don't actually physically have a copy. I just have a PDF, but they'll mail me one eventually. And but there, yeah, there, the, there's the, an ebook, right? As well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's both Perfect. a physical book and an ebook. Um, they're both available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Amazing. those sorts of places. All right. Thanks again, Jarrett. So check Jarrett out. You can follow him on Twitter. Check out the work at baseball prospectus. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, all right, Brad, last thing for us. So we are, just going to quickly talk about the Super Bowl. I want to give you the floor. I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about the Rams and what your hopes are, what your prediction is. Are they going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals in this upcoming Super Bowl where you can't even really 
get into the thing unless you got like 10 G's on you. <laughs> so giving giving you the floor. Give us give us the prediction, your excitement, what's gonna happen this weekend. Well, let me check my pockets. I got five bucks, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not getting in. Uh yeah, it, it, you know, I was very, very confident after beating the Niners, but th- yeah, this is what I hate about the Super Bowl. You got two weeks, yes. man. So it's yes. like you've got this awesome momentum. You beat the Cardinals, you go into Tampa Bay, you beat Brady, you come home, yep. you beat your rivals, and then uh, now you gotta wait two weeks, and you gotta tonight. Tonight is what the uh, this is Monday night. Tonight is the the opening. I guess they walk the red carpet. The <laughs> Super Bowl. I don't even know, man. It's so insane. It's, it's a spectacle now. I just want. I just want to see the game. I'm. I was more confident at the beginning, like I said. Uh, as time goes on, you just look at you look at those three Cincinnati receivers, the the trio, and you go, "Oh my god." That's a lot to have to stop, and then Joe Mixon is a is a force at running back, and and then you got cocky Joe Burrow, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean the the second year cocky Joe Burrow. That's if Aaron Donald can get to him, if if Von Miller can get to him, um, Sebastian Joseph Day is back, which was a huge loss for us in the middle of the season. Another um, uh, inside interior uh, defensive lineman, him and Ashawn Robinson. I mean that that defensive line on paper should destroy the Cincinnati Bengals really rough offensive line. Um, I think uh, Joe Burrow's release time was like 2.69 seconds, which was, it seems fast, but it was only 10th on the list of quarterbacks this season. So not um, even as fast as one Jimmy Garoppolo, the Jimmy Garoppolo, who, <laughs> the, 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 the Jimmy Joe Montana Garoppolo. Anytime he played against the Rams, I tell you. Um, so, so if they, I mean, if they, if the Rams can get to him early and hurt him early, now, now with the Rams too, they can turn over the ball. They can still win. If the Rams turn over the ball no times or one time, they can generally pull out a win. Two times they can still pull out a win. And when they get to that third and fourth turnover, which they have done, I mean, gosh, they turned the ball over four times against Tampa Bay and still won, but they had to win on the last second field goal. If 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 the Rams can just get a takeaway early, it, it could be a it could be a cruise. I, I keep seeing in my head, I keep seeing like thirty one to twenty. Uh, mm. Rams victory 31 to 20. I, I know it's going to be closer than that. I know it's not going to be an 11 point game. Okay. Um, can, can I, yeah. here's one thing mm-hmm. that is going to make you angry as Let's we get closer it. to this game. The national media is going to make this about the underdog. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Very story, the Very story yeah. that they want to tell is Joe Burrow, young Joe Burrow, this young upstart team. Let, let's be real. The, the Bengals were not that good going into the playoffs. Now, they caught fire, and they played great. You, you can't beat the Chiefs and be a doormat, right? right. So they caught Correct. fire at the perfect time. But the Niners beat them in the regular season, and the Niners didn't play well, and it was in overtime, and I was like, God, oh, this game sucks. I can't believe he won this game. Uh, so... The national media wants to tell that story because it's it's the, the the fun story to tell. It's how you get the casual fan into this game, right? So just, it's going to happen. You guys are going to have to fight that. I like I don't want to see that narrative happen because, like I, I think I said last week, that I want the team who beat us to actually be the best team, not the right. team who we beat in the regular season. But don't let that 
take take uh, your eye off off the game here. I still feel like like thirty one twenty. I think is a good score. You, you're probably right in that the NFL is built for these games to be close, no matter what. So it'll probably be a little bit closer. But I I want I want to see the Rams win. I want to see a fun game. I want to see the stars ball out. I want to see Cooper Cup get. 13 catches for 180 yards like that. Like that's what this game is for. Right? That's so, an MVP right there. I mean, that's, right. that's a Super Bowl MVP if he does that, I think. So uh, so that's what I'm hoping for. But I, I just don't yeah. don't get don't go. Don't, don't get too frustrated because they're the, the the it's going to flip. You, know, you said it's already flipped. But even as we get closer yeah. to Sunday, it's going to be about the Bengals and about Joe Burrow. And so you guys you guys are almost going to go into it being sort of not the underdog, but sort of like the thought, you know, not, not necessarily the, the team that people want to win, not the people's team, the Bengals. Are the yeah. team. <laughs> Screw that. Go in, take care of business and, uh, and, and win that game. And, and, well, and- but, but yeah, like I said, it, it, it has already changed. So I've been watching today. I, I had to turn it off because yeah, I mean, just yeah, how much of the media can you watch over and over and over again? I mean, it, it, you still have a week to go. It's it, there's a lot. I want to see the Dr. Dre, Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige. I want to see that press conference. That's usually what, like Friday or so, I think uh, the Friday before the Super Bowl. So that's coming up at the end of this week, Thursday or Friday. But yeah, the, the media has already gone crazy. It's already said, you know, they, hey, the Bengals are going to, uh, they're not going to let this get to them because they're too young to understand what's going on. So nah, they're, they're going to be so nervous. Well, they're going to be very nervous, but the media now is playing it as if they, they don't know to be nervous. They're just going to go out there and play lights out football because they don't know to be nervous. Ask the 2018 Rams. Yeah if they knew what nervous was when they went in and, and to Atlanta to play the, uh, the, the new England Patriots and bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And then they only scored three points yeah. after averaging 27 or 28 the season. Yeah, they're going to play, but, but no, I want that as a Rams fan. I love it. I absolutely. And as you know, being a giants fan too, don't give us any credit. Right. I mean, I've already seen one prediction of, um, season uh, projections for the San Francisco Giants, and it's 81 and 81. <laughs> this, is, this is after winning 107 yes. games. But bring it. Pl- yes, please, exactly. just bring that. Agree with you. I, yeah, I absolutely love it as a Rams fan. I want to see them just kind of push because, you know, Aaron Donald's going to feed off that. You know, Stafford's going to feed off of that. And they're going to look and go, oh, yeah? Okay, well, we still have something to prove. We're going to go out there. I don't like – I get nervous being – you know, like 14 point favorites against the Patriots in 2001. That made me very nervous. I thought there's no way you can go into a a Super Bowl and be a 14 point favorite. So, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a fun week. I'm trying to enjoy it and just, you know, eat it all up. Well, enjoy it. This doesn't happen often. You got to experience it a few years ago as well, but you know, I, even even those uh, that you know the two last years the Niners made it it was uh, th- I think it was thirteen seasons it was two thousand thirteen season two thousand and nineteen season they didn't win which I wasn't used to because when I was growing up they always won in the Super Bowl yeah but there is something to that week so enjoy that week come out be ready we're I, Crystal uh, sh- Crystal's asking me like what are we gonna do for Super Bowl I was like 
I don't know. My team's not playing. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> and she's like, well, it's a Super Bowl. We still got to watch. I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. We got to watch. But Well, you got to so. watch that halftime. Yeah, I mean, that's sure, going to be outrageous. Sure. Well, Denise is doing in full in full L.A. flavor. Denise is doing, uh, I'm going to help her because I'm going to cook some chicken and steak the day of, the morning of. We're doing a full taco bar. Wow. So do a taco nice. bar. And, and our buddy Harveen. You know, Harveen, Harveen's yes. coming up from Sacramento. He's oh, going to come up Saturday night, spend the night. And, and Sunday, we're going to just go crazy with my brother-in-law, Kevin, who's also a Rams fan. Harveen's a Rams fan. So we're, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have no, some- uh, enjoy it. Have a blast. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll circle back next week. But I think this is, a, this may officially be our longest podcast. So I, it's we, quite possible. Let's, uh, let, let's end <laughs> here. But thanks again to, uh, to Jarrett for coming on. Like he, he's, uh, he's one of those smart guys where, I'm like, I know, I, I, I sort of understand about 87% of what he's saying, but there's like <laughs> yeah. a good 13% where I'm just nodding my head and like quickly Googling like what he's saying, yeah. like to make sure. So I, yeah, I can what follow is up. that? What does that stat mean? <laughs> I've never heard that stat before. <laughs> yeah. He even said one that I, he put three words together. One of them was like <laughs> seam. And there was like, an, I was like, and then he said, oh yeah, machine learning. And I was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. 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 It's a lot to learn. And, and I'm here for it though, because it's, it's not going away. It's no, just going to get course, more yeah. and more intense as the years go on. So, yeah, yeah, it's good to have him uh, yeah, as yeah. a friend of the show, though. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll 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 have him back uh, at some point. But uh, so for now, we'll we'll end this and we'll we'll bring bring it back next week, and Brad can tell us uh, either in a very happy tone or we're hopefully. hoping for happy. We're not even going to mention the other side, yeah. but, uh, and we'll talk hopefully, but by then as well, I may we'll not have bit, a voice too. So <laughs> we'll get a little bit more information <laughs> on the lockout. Um, and, uh, who knows, maybe we'll have another guest. I'll have to, I'll have to do some, some pitching, p- pitch some, uh, some folks to come on the show. So, uh, yeah. all right for Brad, I'm double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.